principal of Gilbert Academy was Mrs. Margaret Davis Bowen. A combative woman with a sharp tongue, Mrs. Bowen was tireless in raising money to keep the school open, enabling students to pay a small tuition of $3.50 per month. Mrs. Bowen was strict about payment, otherwise you were delinquent, a word she had the ability to make reverberate with unimaginable horrors. Every student who attended Gilbert remembers long, torturous, sweating lines of students in the hallway waiting to pay tuition at the business office and finally receive the prized signed receipt to take home to parents. The receipt seemed more valuable than money, and it felt good in our pockets. $3.50 per month was no hardship for my father, but for the parents of many of my classmates, it represented wages from several hours or even days of labor, cleaning, ironing, scrubbing, working in private homes or commercial kitchens. There was a fierce pride behind the act of sending their children to school, which I'm convinced was not misunderstood by the children. So wrote Andrew Young, the son of a dentist, recalling his early days in New Orleans. He went on to say, though Mrs. Bowen could be frightening to us, our parents saw through her stern exterior and loved her. She found many creative ways to help families whose fees were delinquent. Several parents traded services to the school in lieu of in lieu of tuition, cooking lunches, helping with chores, assisting with the almost endless Gilbert extracurricular affairs and fundraisers. At the time, I could not appreciate her achievement of keeping a private school operating and making it available to scores of children who could barely even afford tuition at 350 a month. If work is love made visible, then Mrs. Bowen loved us more than we ever knew. If work is love made visible, then Mrs. Bowen loved us more than we ever knew. That's Andrew Young writing in his memoir of the civil rights movement called An Easy Burden, recalling his own childhood, beginning to get to grips with the fact he didn't see something at the time, but in retrospect, he realized he was seeing love made visible. This past Wednesday, we had an epiphany service in the chapel for children with dancing and free kings and gifts and singing. And we had the issue of trying to teach what epiphany is all about. Epiphany means manifestation. That's another word they don't really know. And how do, how do, you, how do we get at the idea that something is being shown to us that we can't otherwise see? And they were quick to grasp that the children were quick to grasp we can't see the wind, but we can see the trees moving. We can't see time, but we can see a clock. We can't see love, but they knew what hugging and kissing meant. And, and, uh, and so it was not a big step to grasp that just as Mrs. Bowen made love visible by her constant attempts to provide dignity and education and a future and hope for these children, so we can see, we can see God's love for us in Jesus, God incarnate or God made manifest. And sometimes when we see something for the first time, something that really shakes our world, something becomes manifest to us that are not, we had not previously seen, then our world gets rocked. We know that scientific discoveries change things, and I'm going to be fascinated to see what the, this, this discovery of the God particle is going to be all about, uh, especially as we read about the first day in Genesis. And I think that will make huge differences. But we know that discoveries change the world and bring endless possibilities into being. We, we know that when we see the world revolving around the sun and not the other around, it changes the way we think. The microchip means we carry small computers 
in our pockets changes the way we listen to music and so on. But, but change also happens when we see something for the first time personally, when our worlds get, get really shaken up in some way. Not always bad. Perhaps uh, you, I don't know what it was for you, perhaps it was when you realized that your parents weren't perfect or, um, or when you discovered the miracle of compound interest and realized that keeping it under the mattress wasn't so good for you and you could never do that again. Or, or perhaps more seriously, when you discover that generosity, in fact, does make us free in spite of what we get told in the world. Uh, perhaps at some point we have begun to discover what is shown at Jesus' baptism, and that is that we are uh, completely valuable because of God's love for us and not because of how much we have or how our material can be measured or how we're doing against others or how much we can consume. You get the point, personal revelation changes our world as much as scientific revelation can. Now, at Jesus' baptism, there is a kind of unveiling. Something is being shown to us that will change everything. When Jesus saw the heavens torn apart, that's the word, torn apart, schizo, it's the same word that Mark uses only one other time, and that's when the veil of the temple at his death is rendered asunder, torn from top to bottom. Something is being ripped apart that cannot be put back together. Something is being revealed that cannot be hidden ever again. And that revelation is many, many things about God and who God is and the nature of God's love, even unto death, is being shown us. And it changes, if we begin to glimpse what it means, it changes the way we see the world. And we will never see the world again in the same way. It's not something the Holy of Holies is not hidden to a sacred few, but is revealed to all. And it's found in realizing that our, we are made by love for love. It means that we can no longer see any other person as less than we are. And it means we can't really look at ourselves as less deserving of God's love than any other person. It really does begin a process of changing and shifting all of our relationships with one another and with God and with the way we live. Now, Andrew Young's memoir, An Easy Burden, is in some ways this story written in history. The movement for civil rights was based first on the understanding, in effect, that everyone is beloved of God, written and agreed upon the Constitution, the Bill of the Rights, and that it was not so much about being able to socialize with engineers, but about having the possibility of becoming an engineer that mattered. It mattered that everyone could aspire to be an engineer. And Andrew Young, by his own account, tells the story of how those around Martin King in the leadership of the movement were always learning new consequences from this primary vision. As the movement continued, they had to learn new possibilities and new ways of responding all the way through, particularly as they were committed to the vision of nonviolence that they'd seen in action in their own time in Gandhi, but which they read about in the Bible. Young was in charge of training. And so the way he tells the story, they particularly realized the importance of training over and over and over, particularly when marches, marches were not trained and they were engendering violence and they started getting angry and they started wanting to fight back. And they said, no, the training says if you reduce yourself to their level, we're never going to be able to get where we need to be. And where we need to be is not victory. Where we need to be is humanity, where everyone is bettered by recognizing that everyone is beloved. They realized, in a sense, they were like the blind man 
who's going to appear a few chapters hence in Mark's gospel, the blind man who was healed in stages. He said, behold, I see men as trees walking. And Jesus had to have another go at him, and the scales had to come off his eyes bit by bit. And that's my story, and that's our story. And in many ways, that's the story of civil rights as the, the business of learning to grasp what is changed when the heavens are rent asunder is a lifelong task that requires holding on to that first insight and going back to it and allowing it to be bedrock, our first love, through thick and thin, through conflict and challenge, through political process, through search for justice, through all the things that make us question who we are and what we're about when we're challenged and confronted by others and keep going back to that first revelation that we are beloved of God, come what may. Now, I'm not sure what kept the various leaders of the various civil rights movements going. But for Andrew Young, at least, by his own testimony, it was a sure sense learned in childhood that people whose hearts were filled with prejudice were depriving them of their own full humanity, even as that humanity was being claimed by others. He was, in a sense, he kept remembering to pity those who confronted him. For me, and I suspect for many of you, what keeps us on the path of following Jesus are those deep affirmations that we're sometimes given grace to see through the scales that cover our eyes, that this is the way of life, that this is the way of hope and meaning and purpose, not only for us, importantly, but for everyone. It means that we have to keep working on the things that get in the way of our vision, keep being aware of our privilege where we have it, and how it works for us and how it doesn't work for us, and where we don't have privilege, where we are, uh, in a sense, the, the minority, perhaps, then where does that work for us? And where does it not work for us? And how do we begin to look each other in the eye, not pretending that we don't have power when we have power, but, but, but using it in a way that is for the building up of all people, using it like Mrs. Bowen, over and over and over again, fierce, for the dignity of every human being to make it possible for those children to have hope and to have life. We don't know how she would have described her work, but we know she kept doing the next right thing, raising people up rather than tearing them down, even when they were, in her word, delinquent. She saw something important, and she made love visible over and over and over. And that would be a good epitaph for anyone who has begun to see past the veil to the consequence of the love that God has for us and for all people. And so in a time of prayer, I invite you to respond to the gospel by remembering that first love, that first realization, whatever it was that rocked the world for you and began to help you see that you are beloved of God. You might imagine God speaking to you when Jesus saw the heavens torn apart. You are my child. You are beloved. With you I am well pleased. You are my child. You are beloved. With you I am well pleased. It changes everything. In silence and response to the gospel, let us pray.